Warning, this episode contains adult language and content. They say the pen is mightier, but in whose hands? So we'll pitch your stories head to head and find out which one lands. All three sham writers haven't read a lot, so your sham host will find a famous plot. Books and films and TV shows, they'll make a pitch, then off you go to write what you don't know. This is Sham Fiction, the show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Andrew Neal. Hey, that's me! Thanks, British lady! Hey, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the Sham Fiction. As the British lady said, I am Andrew Neal, your host for this week, and I am delighted to be pitching today's property to y'all. And perhaps just, if not more delighted, to do what I have to do now, which is introduce my friends slash coho slash your writers for this week to start the lovely eric carlson welcome eric to the oh, show i am delighted to be here oh it's such a delightful show <laughs> it really is oh man i am glad to hear of your delight at my delight for this delightful thing and i'm delighted to hear about your delight of my delight of your delight of yeah Oh, man, you got it. This is great. We're off to a delightful start. All right, let's continue with... Let's introduce our other writer for this week, Mr. Marcus Mann. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Delightful. (laughs) Pretty excited to be here. We're setting a record for the amount of times we've said that word on this show. And you know what? I think it's fitting, given today's today's property. Um, Man, guys, how... Have you been able to not watch this movie? I'm I'm just I'm so pleased. I'm we made pleased, an agreement that we well, wouldn't yeah. watch this movie. You, you you told us that we couldn't so that explicit. you could pitch it to us. We've been waiting weeks for this to happen. There's some very angry texts. Uh, the kindness of these two gentlemen's souls uh is is <laughs> is delightful. Oh man, no, no. It's just it's it's representative of this pitch you know of of us pitching this show you know that you guys are willing to wait a little a couple extra weeks to go see this movie in order or at least a couple extra minutes in showtime um (laughs) to allow me to pitch this to you because this is one of my favorite films of 2017 and that is the shape of water guillermo it is yes Guillermo del Toro returning for another stunning directorial effort. That's Spanish for good director. <laughs> nope. That was English for the words that I said. <laughs> yes, right. The Shape of Water, which at the time of this recording, we're just a couple of days away from Oscar nominations. You listening to this a few months in the future. Um, I'm just going to make the assumption that one, it was nominated a buttload and two that it won the game because everything should be right in the world at some sometimes right that's right we're covering oscar award winning film the shape of water by guillermo del toro i hope that's true best sound design 
Yeah, at least in like one of those technical departments, it's probably safe to say. So yes, uh, Shape of Water. Let's let's give some credits here. So it was uh, written by Mr. Del Toro and Vanessa Taylor, who you may recognize that name. She wrote on the second and third seasons of Game of Thrones. Ooh, nice. Uh, Including a few other credits, and of course, the film is directed by uh, Guillermo del Toro. It is starring. Uh, and it's amazing cast. Sally Hawkins, Richard Jenkins, Michael Shannon, Octavia Spencer, and the man behind the makeup, Mr. Doug Jones. <gasps> friend of nice. the show? <laughs> friend of the show, Doug Jones. In that friend, of, have, friend of us. We have met him at one point. <laughs> <laughs> as as uh, same with GDT. It's true. Did briefly meet GDT a long time ago at the Toronto Film Festival. That was a delight. He was very happy now to meet you. He was very happy to meet me, a person he does not know, nor probably remembers. (laughs) But it was delightful nonetheless. Um, and, and, And Doug Jones, if you ever get the chance to meet Doug Jones, do it. Because he is one of the kindest and friendliest man, men on the planet, and uh, he's 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 very active. He's very expressive with his he's, fingers. He's handsy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And very if handsy. You, if you kick over his can of Coca Cola, he may give you a friendly spank on the bottom, as he did with me. I don't remember you kicking over his can of cola. Yeah. Yeah. It happened, and uh, I have not washed this ass cheek since. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you laugh. Oh, it's man. disgusting. Oh, that's great. Guys, I think we're about it's about that time the sun is getting low and <laughs> we got to it's magic hour. That's the that's the best time to pitch a movie as beautiful as this, right when the sun is just right and hulks are, you know, <laughs> bannering up. Yep. There we go. Thank you. Um so before I before I pitch, gonna say uh, prefaces. Um, gonna be if you haven't seen Shape of Water yet, you know, I'm gonna be spoiling some plot details. So if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, you know, don't listen to this pitch. But uh, I'm gonna go into it anyway. So let's uh, get uh, let's get some time on that clock. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one. Let's jam. Okay, so Shape of Water. This is Guillermo del Toro's new fantasy romance drama film. In other words, he has referred to it as, and this is key, this is key, a fairy tale for adults. So keep that in mind throughout all of this. So The Shape of Water is set in Baltimore, Maryland, United States, in the early 1960s. Land of Tom. The, oh, you know it, the land of Brandau. Yay! Shout out to our old professor in his hometown. All right, so the film follows Eliza Esposito, who lives alone in an apartment above a beautiful old movie house, playing some what we now consider classic films. At the time, they would be new. Uh, she lives next door to her friend, Giles, and she works <gasps> nights... Not from Buffy the Vampire damn, Slayer. Oh, damn it. Oh, had to, had to clear that one up. Um, and Eliza works nights as a janitor at a government laboratory. A janitor at a laboratory, just like our last week's pitch. I know. Things are, there's so many connections. Um, 
But she does not work with the future man. She rather works with her friend and co-worker Zelda, who's played by Octavia Spencer. And one night, while the two are working in the lab, a government agent named Richard Strickland comes to the facility, accompanying the lab's, quote, most sensitive asset ever. Ooh. And later, when cleaning that same lab, Eliza discovers the truth. That the acid is a magnificent amphibious man, played by Doug Jones, that Strickland <laughs> captured in a jungle river in South America. Ooh. Oh, man. So while Strickland keeps this creature imprisoned, often in chains and in a small tank where he's very uncomfortable, um, Eliza secretly starts bringing the creature eggs to eat. And they begin warming to each other as Eliza continues to bring him food and soon starts playing music for him uh, to help cheer him Aww. up in his, in his conditions. And the key thing is that she seems to be able to communicate with the amphibious man, unlike anyone else, because all her life, Eliza has been mute. She speaks in sign Ooh. language. She's not deaf, she's just mute. Um, and so, yeah, she speaks in sign, which often tests the patience of those around her, her friends and co-workers, but not the creature, because he cannot speak. He does not speak English. He just kind of gargles and makes... Speaks <laughs> Spanish or, or Portuguese. Nope, neither He's of those Brazil. things. from Brazil. Nope. Not try, not, we are not saying that those are gargly languages. Those are beautiful languages. The romance languages, even. No. Have you heard Portuguese? Anyway, continue. <laughs> Let's not get on your soapbox about the Portuguese right now, Eric. <laughs> not again. <laughs> um, no, he can't. So he can't talk like Eliza. So she starts to teach him sign. So they start communicating very briefly in sign language. Um, and their mutual dependence on that type of communication really deepens their bond. At one point, uh, she says that he cannot see that I'm incomplete, and that's Aww. that's that's kind of the that's a, a point of endearment between them. However, <clears throat> this blossoming relationship becomes threatened when orders come down from on high, saying that the creature will be vivisected for study. Ooh, yes. So now Eliza uh, must race against the clock. Remaining. Ooh, here we go. She, I'm racing against the <laughs> clock right now. Perfect timing uh, to free the creature before it's too late. So let's get into these characters a little bit more. So Eliza Esposito, played by Sally Hawkins. She's a very lonely woman. She lives alone. She has her friends, but because of that distance, because of her lack of communication, she always feels a little lonely. She's very longing. We constantly see the way that she looks at the creature, the way she looks at the world, always seems at a distance. In the beginning, she has a very small, routine life. Every evening when she wakes up, because she works nights at the facility, um, she boils some eggs, runs a bath, and masturbates. She <laughs> has a very... she has a, So think about that as you write your story. This, these people have sexual lives that uh, might come into play. Um, because she can't speak, her friends use her as a means of airing their grievances. So she's often mm. a sounding board for them. Um, but when the creature enters her life, we see that she's very curious and very brave, and she doesn't ever seem to fear him. There's kind of a connection between them immediately. And so when he's in danger, she immediately jumps into action and wants to help. The amphibian man, 
Doug Jones. Um, think Creature from the Black Lagoon, but like way hotter. <laughs> He's got oh, like that's possible. Uh, Michael Phelps bod, but like way scalier. <laughs> Um, web feet, hands, fishy eyes, uh, and he's an amphibian man, so he can breathe outside of water. Um, he's an Abe Sapien. Not, yeah, but not for long periods. And he's intelligent, but he's still animalistic. Um, he still has a lot of animal-like, uh, tendencies. And he has other magical powers that I will not reveal. What? Oh, oh man. Richard Strickland is our next character, Michael Shannon. Um, so he is the temporary head of security at the, uh, facility where the, while the acid is there. And um, as Del Toro described in an interview, oh boy, two minutes. Um, If this movie had been made at the time in which it's set, he would have been the hero because he's the respected government agent. But in this movie, he's the monster. He is disgusted by the creature. Uh, He frequently uses a cattle prod to keep him in line. And early in the film, the creature attacks him and bites off two of his fingers. And throughout the rest of the film, he gets him sewn back on. But... They're not really taking. So out throughout the film, his fingers become more and more infected oh, and disgusting. Gross. Um, then there's Giles, her friend, not Buffy the Vampire Slayer's uh, uh, mentor. Well, um, we get a right around version. <laughs> he's an aging artist uh, struggling with freelance work. He and Eliza watch old movies together and do little tap routines. Um, and he oh. has an unrequited crush on a much younger man who works at a diner. Um, he goes Aww. there and eats really bad pie to see him. Um, and then there's Zelda, Eliza's co-worker, old man, um, who's very protective of her, speaks on her behalf often, and just talks nonstop. So while Eliza can't talk, Zelda doesn't stop talking. Um, so, again, this is a fairy tale for adults. It's a very sweet, melancholic film, romantic, but it is, it's a GDT joint, so it ain't afraid to dip into the darkness and the violence when it wants to. Um... The themes here, it's a lot about lonely people trying to find connections. It's a lot, it's just ripe with ache and heartbreak and longing. And it's just beautiful. So another key detail, make it beautiful. In your piece, think about describing the environments. This Guillermo del Toro production design in his films is amazing. And this is no different. Even shabby places are beautiful, like Eliza and Giles' apartments. Um, the lab, they might be dark and kind of spooky, but there's still an element of beauty to all of them. Mm-hmm. And again, if you want to get dark, get dark. Time's up. Hey, it is. That was great. I feel pretty good. I got through pretty much everything I wanted to say. So, look at that. Pat on the back, Andrew. Good pitch, Andrew. Well <laughs> done, Mr. Neil. Thank you. I want to see this movie. My goodness. How could exciting. you not after that amazing pitch? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the next segment on our program. (laughs) The pitch session, wherein the two of you each have two minutes separately. You have two minutes to pitch or to ask questions, ask questions uh, uh, of me about the pitch that you just heard. And let's see who is going to start. uh, Marcus, Marcus, you're going to start. Okay. Excellent. He was making um, the best. He was making the best fish face. He All was right, making I'll, a fish uh, face. It was good. I'll, I'll be back in about two minutes. All right. Sounds good. Marcus, step into my aquatic lab. Um, and uh, so it's so wet. It's oh. 
Hey, Eric, I thought you were gone. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting until oh, it begins. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, we can get started. It is very wet in here. This is private. This is perfect. It's the perfect place to have a Q&A segment. So let's get those two minutes on the clock, please. Two-minute Q&A begin. Okay, what other experiments happen in this lab? What other experiments happen in the lab? In the facility, S- yeah. Um, you, we don't really see many other experiments, so I can't really tell you that. <laughs> I don't know. So we don't, like, but this isn't out of the ordinary. There's sorts of weird stuff going on. Yeah, they definitely don't present it as out of the ordinary. Um, okay. Do we yeah. find out about weird other, like, are there other fish people? We do not or is he know. the last of his kind? We don't know. We don't know. We just know it's often there are uh, uh, comments made about how he seems very lonely. Okay. So he's a lonely fish man. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he can breathe outside of the water permanently? Does he need to breathe outside of the water? No, it doesn't seem like it. In fact, he, of- he often seems uncomfortable out of the water, even though he can be out of the water. What does she call him? She doesn't call him anything. They don't really have names for each other. Okay. Who else speaks uh, sign language? Um, Giles and Zelda both can understand Eliza. Anyone in the office? In the office? No. Strickland can't. Zelda has to um, translate, and the other scientists um, can't understand her either. Do the scientists greatly underestimate her because they think she's dumb? Very much so. They are often... The, the movie really utilizes their janitorial status. Remaining. Oh, man. Um, in that they are often ignored completely. Does Aquaman have super strength? Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so he's like a physically imposing kind of guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit. Great. Uh, does she have any other love interest or history with love that we know about? No, we don't. Other than she, she seems pretty lonely. The, the the masturbation element is the only sex life that we see of hers. Okay. Time's up. All right. All Ooh. right. There we go. That was a quick two minutes. It went by, you know, took 120 seconds. It was a short one. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go start tapping this out so I can watch this movie. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Get to it as quickly as possible because you must see this ASAP. Excited for Oscar winner, The Shape of the Water. And we'll let Eric back into the lab here. <laughs> All right. Yes, Eric, come into my, my aquatic side. laboratory as well. Take a look around at all of the strange water tanks. <laughs> Ooh, gross. It's it's pretty gross. There's there's It's kind of mildewy, mildewy. And as you said, very wet. <laughs> Don't slip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. Let me help you up here. Let me help you up. Oh no, I just I just landed on my spank mark left over <laughs> oh, no. from Doug Jones all those years ago. Did it wash off with all the wetness? It's tender. Uh, okay. Let's get to the let's get to the, the QA segment. Eric, are you ready? I think I am ready. I do not care. Put the oh. time on the clock. <laughs> Two minute QA begin. Okay, most important question. Uh, does Eliza bone the fish man? She does. Yay! Are there any other creatures in this lab? Uh, I cannot answer that. You can't... Are there any other creatures in this film? Oh, phrasing it differently. Very Mm. good. No. Ah, okay. Well, fine. Um, well then. Uh, crap. Other things. Oh, you mentioned this character, Zelda. Yeah. 
uh, I don't remember you saying anything about her. What's her deal? Oh, uh, I said that she's uh, Eliza's friend and coworker. She's friend and the, coworker. What at the does facility? she do at the facility? Oh, she's a janitor with Eliza. She's also a janitor. The, mm-hmm. Like daytime janitor, nighttime janitor? They work together in the nighttime. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yep. That makes so sense. So Zelda is typically with her, uh, talking nonstop while Eliza's working with her, mm-hmm. and um, again, translates for her. Sure. Gotcha. So does Eliza tell Zelda about what's happening with the fish man? Is she aware? Is it all very secret? Um, it's pretty secret. She's when, when Eliza starts cooking up her plans, she doesn't tell Zelda. Okay. Gotcha. Um, does she have a nickname or anything for the fish man? I suppose she doesn't talk, so she doesn't. Yeah. I guess that answers my own question. She does not have a nickname. I just want to know what to call this fish man. I I can't, I can't answer it anyway. Okay. Would, is she trying to get... The fish man back home to South America. Remaining. Thirty seconds. Um, yeah, in a way, she's just trying to break him out. That's break the, him the, out. The, the goal is break out. We can assume get back home. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Um, and does Giles help out with this breakout at all? He does. Yes. All right, that makes sense. I would. Mm-hmm. I would, because I'm not dead inside. Exactly. Yeah, you have a heart. I do. You're you're a human being with empathy. So I have heard. Time's up. <laughs> All right, that is the end of our Q and A. Also, right. a quick one. They're so fun; they go by so quickly. I think I got I think I got enough to go off of. This is going to be interesting. Oh, very much so. Um, yeah, uh, you asked the you did ask the the key question that Marcus did not ask. Oh, <laughs> I'm really glad that you did. I I figured that would be the first one he asked. He did not. I no, am glad. did not address that. Um, Fantastic. So that's uh, that's left to his imagination there. Um, All right. And the rest of you to decipher, if you haven't seen the film, how the heck does that work? Um, well, uh, I will not explain it. Um, but it rather, Eric, go mm-hmm. enjoy writing this, this, this story. We will see you and Marcus again in a few minutes. Um, for right now, let's go to a brief commercial break, and we're gonna, when we come back, we're going to hear some stories. See you in a bit. Do you hear that, listeners? Over the music, might be a bit of thunder. I'm recording this commercial break on a bit of a dark and a stormy night. Andrew here. Very, you know, the same that you just heard. Pitching that excellent pitch. Listen, guys, if you like the show, if you like my excellent pitching... There's a few things you can do to support me and the other guys, I guess. First, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher, wherever you listen to the show. That way you can get episodes right when they come out. While you're there, leave us a five-star rating and review. That helps others find us. We really appreciate that. Much obliged, much obliged. And, of course, you can find us on all the social media platforms. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for Sam Sham Fiction. Ah, uh, not Sam Fiction. Who's that guy? And if you really like us, kick us a few bucks on coffee.com. K-O-F-I. It's the proverbial coffee. A couple of bucks. We really appreciate it. All right, let's get back to the show. Bye-bye. Hello. All right, that was a great advertisement. And we're <laughs> back with the second half of the show. The part that you all have been waiting for because pitches... Ooh, pitches get stitches, am I right? <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, that old adage. Uh, yeah, I love it. You're here for the readings. You're here for some stories. So, let's get to them. We have I'm, two... I'm, here for, I'm here for Andrew's folksy turns of phrase. <laughs> 
Good, good. Yeah, come for the stories, stay for the folksy. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, as we've already heard, some 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 laughs at my brilliant comedy from our two writers. <laughs> Welcome back, you two. Uh, I hope you have some stories to share. Uh, oh yeah. Yes. Sure do. You sure Drip do. Some water. Oh man. Uh, did you either of you discover what the shape of water is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are we gonna learn what it is in your stories? Almost definitely. Oh, oh man, if you do, no. if, was that a no, Eric? Oh no, I mean, uh, let me write it in quick. Oh, dimity tap! You <laughs> it's 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 round. It's round a shape. Oh no, it's round a shape. Why don't they call it rounding? <laughs> All right. I think it's 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 gravel. Gravel is the shape. Oh, <laughs> the shape of gravel. The well, shape of gravel. I'm so pleased that you say that because who just walked into the studio? <laughs> hello, hello. My name is Gravel Man. Hey. I have wrote a sham fiction. It's called The Shape of Gravel. <laughs> gravel Man. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. But I'm I hate sorry, that man. Guy. We only have time to read two stories, and it's got to be stories about shape of water. <laughs> oh. oh, Gravel Man, you're incorrigible. <laughs> Oh, that really gets my gravel. <laughs> For those of you who missed our last episode, Gravel Man is the new sham fiction mascot. We appreciate however many episodes you listened to before Gravel Man was introduced, and we wish you the best in life moving forward. I'm so pleased. Uh, I love him so much. What are you laughing at? My favorite sham host, Andrew. Oh, Gravel Man, you just bring me such joy, that's all. But if you don't mind... I also brought you this gravel. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of what I do. It's his whole deal. Thank you, Gravel it's kind Man. Of, it's kind I, of the I only thing it, he does. It's such a, such a kind gift. Uh, I will use it... Uh, I won't use it for anything other than a gift. I will put it in on, on my mantle in a place of... Of, of dignity, you know, all that stuff. But let's get to some stories. <laughs> let's get to Shape of Water. All right. Um, so we got two readings here, two writers, two readings. Uh, let's start with... Is it Gravel Man? Does Gravel Man get to write, read his story? Gravel Man. Okay. This no, is Gravel no, Man's gravel man. Shape of Gravel. <laughs> oh, gravel. Once upon a gravel. time was a small rock. Gravel. That rock... <laughs> was pulverized by a heavy weight until it became gravel. <laughs> oh, is this just going to go on like that? Please. Yes. Um, you know, just keep going, Gravel Man. Yeah, you've already started. You might as well finish. You've got 1,500 words, Gravel Man. Go. Yeah. Yep, just keep it under that. There's a limit. Um, I only wrote 15. Oh. <laughs> the gravel was very happy to be gravel now. The end. Oh, hey. That's it. I think that was like an autobiography. I think so. I think <laughs> it was. the secret origin of Gravel Man. Uh-huh. Beautiful tale. A beautiful tale. Thank you, Gravel Man. So Gravel Man went first. That's great. Uh, so let's get to... Uh, let's go to Marcus's. Marcus, Ooh. please regale us with your Shape of Water tale. All right. I'm ready for shaping some water. This is The Shape of Water by Marcus Mann. Water consumed Eliza's life long before he entered it. It was her constant, her friend, her protector. It boiled her eggs in the evening, turning them from something breakable and raw into something firm and life-sustaining. In the bath, it cleansed her, 
and brought her rapturous escape. In public, it provided brief moments of sanctuary. No one expected you to talk when you were drinking, taking the water inside of you and giving you strength. Then Mr. Strickland had come into the facility and brought the water with him. Strickland was a cruel man, a walking dereliction of her duty to keep the facility clean. Wherever he stepped, he stained with malice in a shade that Eliza's scrubbing could never lighten. It didn't matter how impeccable his pressed button wrapper appeared. He was the desert. Yet the man he brought with him, the beautiful creature that Eliza had feared was a mirage, was more solid than any oasis. He was tall and strong and so wonderfully different. He was blessed to live his life enveloped by the water that was her first love. It was a part of him. It was his nature. Eliza was good at seeing through facades to the shape of the things behind. It was a skill the world often lacked, and one that she most wished she could share. When people looked at her, they saw only the unintended cracks of her birth, the missing voice that turned their smiles hollow, or worse. That was how they looked at him. The scientists showed him the same repulsion and anger that they showed her, but unfiltered. Whereas Eliza's faults were only illuminated when one took the time to ask, the man in the tank wore his proudly on his skin. His scales that glistened in perfect geometry proclaimed louder than any voice that he was not one of them. For all their scholarship and diligence, she knew these men feared what was different. They needed to have power over him to make him feel as small as they did. After weeks of abusing him, they saw a hint of what Eliza knew. The man in the tank would not be broken. Like the surface of the water itself, when provoked, he would roil, but he would not shatter. Given time, he would come again to be a still reflection of anyone looking on. Their hate for him was their hate for what they saw looking back. Faced with something greater than themselves, they decided to do as men do and remove it from this world, returning them safely to their relative station. Strickland would be the one to do it. He would cut him open, letting his life spill out of the ruined container like water pouring out of a fractured glass. Eliza could picture him holding the scalpel, pain from his dying fingers reaffirming the decision to end this man's life. She could hear the man's rushing screams, his mouth working to get another taste of the flesh that would end him. No, Eliza would not let that happen. She thought of Lawrence of Arabia, another man who had visited her privately many times in her bathtub, <laughs> and knew that she could do what needed to be done. Lawrence had been like her. Rather than fear the Arabs because they were different, he learned their ways, their language, their strength. He saw people as beings worth protecting, even when they didn't look like him, and he risked everything that he was to see his mission through to the end. There was a way forward that ended in many deaths, and most likely her own, the path of violence. She had keys to the weapon storage, which she was tasked with cleaning, and there would be enough cold metal pain in that room that she might be able to force her way out with the man from the water. But that wasn't her way, or his. That was Strickland's way. Instead, she would use the thing that had brought them together. Their salvation would be in the Patapsco. It took all her control to not arrive early to the facility. But that would need justification, just as arriving late would require an excuse, even though she wouldn't be able to see him until past midnight. 
She fought the desire to wait until she could go to him, and shrouded, her in, shrouded herself in adherence to her schedule. She smiled and waved at the other men in the facility as she entered and they left for the day. Some of them nodded back. Others leered or avoided eye contact. The only kindness she ever found in the building came from her friend Zelda, and showing that kindness in return, Eliza had chosen a day when Zelda wouldn't be there to complete her mission. It saddened her that she wouldn't be able to say goodbye, but Zelda was safer this way. Even knowing what the men at the facility had done to her, and what Strickland had done to the man in the tank, Eliza did her duty that last day. Until the moment she was ready to escape, she cleaned with the same ethic she had every shift since she started. She believed in honor, and until the time she abandoned it, scrubbing was her job. Besides, the repetitive motions gave her time to think as she listened to the diminishing footfalls telling her the facility's occupancy was thinning out. When the clock struck midnight, it was finally time for Eliza to find her aquatic prince. She had many keys on a ring at her waist, but she knew the ones to his room and cell by the tips of her fingers. Feeling the metal teeth excited her. She knew they were cut just right to entice the lock's pins to let her through. She rotated the key for the last time and forced open the door. There he was, her man from the water floating in his tank as magnificent as the first day she had seen him. But he was not alone. The door slammed shut behind her and she turned to see Strickland, as composed as ever, holding a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> he addressed her without preamble as he began peeling the shell. It's funny. Despite this thing being in isolation, with pure water coming straight from our private processing, we kept finding flecks of white in its tank when we took it out. We wondered how that could be, since this room was sealed to everyone without clearance except for our janitor, and she was too smart to do something as dumb as breaking protocol. Maybe it was shedding. But no, there was nothing else white on its body other than those grotesque teeth. Then it hit me. There was something familiar about these scraps. As it turns out, I was right. This thing is just crazy about hard-boiled eggs. Now, I can tell you it didn't get the taste for them where I pulled it out of South America. So, do you have any thoughts? Strickland dropped the egg and lunged at Eliza. He grabbed the base of her hair and pulled hard, causing her to double over. What's that? He spat. I couldn't hear you. Eliza felt a tear drip down her cheek. He was taking the water from her. A lifetime away, she heard pounding from the inside of the tank and remembered the freedom she had promised. This thing is an animal. I don't know what you think you saw in it, but it is a primal wild beast and it is making this great country unsafe. Look at my hand, Strickland said, and he held his blackened fingers inches from her face. They had never recovered from the infection after they'd been sewn back on. Look at what it did to me and tell me that a thinking creature could do that. Of course he could, Eliza signed, but Strickland never listened when she spoke. She jerked her head forward and got her teeth around Strickland's forefinger. She clamped down hard and ripped the digit free, splashing her mouth with hot red blood. Strickland released her hair as he stumbled back and tried to stop the bleeding with his other hand. Oh well, he never thought much of her anyway. She drove her foot into his testicles, which drove him to the floor. The last familiar key moved from her hand into the lock on the tank before he could recover. As soon as the metal unlatched, the man inside leapt out, splashing the ground as he landed. 
An animal may have attacked Strickland immediately, but he came to Eliza first and held her until he knew she was okay. His webbed fingers still wet from the water wiped the blood from her chin. When he was satisfied she was unharmed, he turned to his captor, but Eliza held him back. His rage-filled eyes found their way to her fingers to hear what she had to say. He didn't kill you. He was going to, but he didn't, so we must not kill him. He did experiment on you, seeing if he could survive in the air outside of the water, so let us experiment on him. Understanding washed over his eyes, and he lifted Strickland bodily from the ground. His screams and sobs were silenced as he was taken from the air into the water. Eliza locked the tank, and her hands finished her thought. Let's see if he survives. It didn't take long to find the satisfying answer. It took longer for the man from the water to pry open the casing on the great pipes leading out into the Patapsco River, but not by much. There was only room for both of them if they held each other very close. The current would carry them straight into Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic beyond. Water consumed Eliza's life long before he entered it. But now, she knew its shape. The end. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story with us. (laughs) Held himself back. Implacable Andrew. Will not show any feeling. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. That was fun. Yes. My mouth was very dry. That oh, was, uh, take a drink. Yeah, of I'm gonna take a water. drink. Oh, oh let's nope. shape my mouth. It's uh, it's Powerade. <laughs> this is oh, Powerade. That's true. I hate to, to break. This is not water. Break the illusion. <laughs> it's Powerade. The shape of Powerade. Ooh, the very top different. ingredient is water. Oh, oh well, good. You know, that's good. Fine. Glad to hear that. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay. So thanks, Marcus. And we'll talk. I am very excited to talk about that. But we need to hear another story. Mr. Carlson, would it's you please? It's a story by Eric. Yay. Woo. All right. Let's do this thing. The Shape of Water by Eric. The heavy metal door groaned and creaked as Eliza softly opened, then shut it, abruptly, abruptly cutting off Zelda's chatter from the hallway as it boomed to a close. The other woman had noticed the egg carton tucked under her arm and had playfully rebuked her for it. As far as her co-worker knew, Eliza was sneaking off to feed her new pet fish. It was a misconception that Eliza was thankful for. Zelda simply wouldn't be able to understand the true meaning of her nightly visits to the aquatic containment lab. The lab was quiet. A slow drip, drip, drip of water, like a faucet with a leak, echoed against the thick, windowless stone walls. A dim red light shone at the center of the room, illuminating the large hatch at the top of the holding tank and the stairs that led up to it. Besides that light, the room was completely dark. The floor was slick with water as always, proof that the huge steel and glass construct had been built to keep specimens from escaping over the edge, but not to keep liquid from sloshing over the sides. Although it was technically her responsibility to mop up the spill, she knew it was a hopeless fight. He would just get it wet again. Eliza stepped gingerly through the puddles, climbed the wide metal-graded staircase that led up to the highest point in the lab, noting the sharp smell of mildew that permeated the space, then lifted the bolt on the hatch and slid it open with a resounding clang. 
She held the egg over the water and waited. He would have seen her enter the room, would have felt the shock when she opened the hatch. He would know she was there, but she couldn't see him anywhere in the black water before her. She reached her other hand out over the edge and lightly splashed the water, surprised at how cold it was. Where had Strickland found him? South America? Wouldn't the water there be warmer than this? Eliza wondered if there was any way for her to increase the temperature, scanning the various dark machinery around the periphery of the room. When she turned back, hard-boiled egg still held out over the water. She found a large pair of eyes staring back at her. She drew in a sharp intake of breath, feeling the hairs on her arms standing at attention. He was here, and he was looking at her. There was, however, something... off about him. She could see his eyes easily enough, poking out just above the surface of the water ten or so feet away, but she couldn't see the rest of him. Was it the darkness of the room that kept her from seeing the beautiful pattern of scales on his head, or the rippling outline of his long, elegant body moving just below the surface? She'd always been able to see him before. The eyes approached, and she stiffened, realizing it wasn't just the darkness that had fooled her. As he moved, it was clear that, although the water rippled around his face and body, there was no actual body to be seen. It was as if he was completely invisible, save those gorgeous eyes. Then, with a blink, a flood of green and gold slowly washed over his scaly skin, like he'd suddenly been splashed with a vibrant paint that glowed beneath the surface of the inky black water. Tendrils of color spread from his streamlined face down his long neck and revealed his breathtaking form in its entirety. Now, where once there had been a dark void, there was light. There was him. He slowly padded over to the egg that floated on the surface. She hadn't realized she'd dropped it, and swallowed it in one bite. <laughs> As he did so, she noticed a nasty red mark on the side of his face. She reached a hand out towards it, what looked like a fresh wound, but he shied away. What had hurt him? Was it Strickland and that damned cattle prod? Was that the reason why he seemed so, sim so timid this night? Was that why he had made himself nearly invisible to her? After a moment, however, he approached, letting her caress the soft flesh along the rear of his jaw, where his ear would have been if he were human. What was he? Did it matter? The wound didn't look too bad, just a deep scratch, really, but Eliza could imagine how it pained him. She stroked the golden scales on his temple, and she was amazed at how warm he was, given how frigid the water seemed to be. He closed his eyes as she touched him, drifting closer and closer, until he was at the very edge of the tank. Eliza's heart was beating so hard it felt someone was felt like someone was beating a drum on her chest. A green hand gently rose from the water and alighted on her elbow, and she was lost. Richard Strickland hadn't intended on being there so late in the evening, but he needed to know the truth of the matter. With only two days left until the assets scheduled vivisection, it was his responsibility to ensure the safety of the equipment, the facility, and the staff. If what he'd heard about the cleaning woman's nightly activity was true, then she was in more danger than she could possibly realize. Strickland had seen what that creature could do firsthand, and it chilled his marrow 
to think about the men he'd lost for the advancement of science. With a loud metallic groan, the door swung open, and there she was, just like the other woman, the one who could speak, had said she'd be, perched on the edge of the holding tank inside the aquatic containment lab. The sliding hatch that kept the asset contained was wide open, and the outer door hadn't even been locked. The woman spun towards him at his entrance, a scared look on her plain face, and just as he was about to shout at her to close the hatch, Richard Strickland saw something truly terrifying. The creature was there, not even a foot from the girl. Worse yet, it was actually touching her. With a shout, Strickland rushed forward, his Oxford splashing across the puddles on the concrete floor, raising the cattle prod so that he was sure the creature would see it through the glass of the tank. But then, as he reached the metal steps that led to the woman and the hatch, the creature vanished completely from sight. He stopped on the step and blinked. Where had the thing gone? Had it fled to the dark rear of the tank? The woman was just staring at him eyes wide with fear, shaking her head and miming the word no. Why was she standing there? Didn't she realize how dangerous that monster was? No, of course not. How could she? She hadn't been there on the river that day he lost three of his friends. He gestured for her to come away from the tank, shouting, Come on, you idiot! Come on! But he knew it was futile. She was dumb as well as deaf. He continued up the stairs, cattle prod raised overhead in case the creature struck, and was reaching a hand out to pull the cleaning woman away when she suddenly lurched backwards out of his grasp and splashed bodily into the water. No! Strickland screamed. It was happening all over again. He could see Hernandez pulled into the water by unseen hands, the tranquilizer pistol flying from him as he screamed. They wouldn't find his bloated body for another week. He hesitated for just a moment, but then made a decision. He wasn't going to lose another one. Strickland scanned the roiling water and could just barely see the white of the woman's saddle shoes flo flashing in the darkness below. There was still time. He could reach her before she drowned or before the creature could finish her off. He quickly set the cattle prod on the top step and removed his twill jacket, throwing it over the railing. Before he could dive in after the woman, however, there was a momentous splash, and Strickland felt a weight strike him square in the chest and send him careening backwards. He struck his head against the metal steps as he rolled, losing all sense of direction, his eyes going dark for a moment before he landed in a wet sprawl on the cold floor below. He gasped for breath, and his mind instinctively went to Ringwald, bleeding out on the banks of the Nene River. He felt at his temple and found blood. There was a light splash in a nearby puddle, and Strickland looked up to find... nothing. Just wet footsteps approaching invisibly. Oh, God, no. He thought of the cattle prod, but he'd left it up at the top of the stairs. But wait! No, there it was, only a few feet away from him on the bottom step. It must have been knocked away as he fell. Strickland reached desperately towards the cattle prod with his right hand, and then blind pain flashed like an atom bomb, overwhelming all of his senses for a moment as the tissue of his first and second fingers tore apart, the bones cracking audibly, blood gushing out of him in a sickening wave. He thought of Garcia, whose wife had just given birth to their second boy, his femur protruding from his leg. 
It had pierced his femoral artery. At least the man's death had been quick. He screamed, pulling his hand away, flopping onto his side and clutching the wound as the creature finally came into view, a splash of color illuminating its glistening, muscular, barbed form. It stood from its crouched position, letting Strickland's fingers fall limply from its toothy mouth. A wave of terror seized Strickland, and he knew that this was the end. This monster was going to end him the way it had ended his men in Peru. The monster took a silent step towards him, then paused. Behind it, the woman was walking down the steps, soaked to the bone, her blouse sticking to her skin. At least she hadn't drowned. The creature looked back to regard her. Run, Strickland thought. Run! But he didn't have the strength to say it. There was a pain in his chest, and his sight grew fuzzy. He couldn't be sure, but it seemed that the woman actually reached out to put a hand on the monster's shoulder. Run! He murmured weakly. Finally, the blackness washed over him, and he was lost. The End Oh, yowza. That was a gravelly fic. Ooh, gravelly. Not gravelly enough. Not as gravelly as our first fic. Nope. <laughs> yep, we've had we've had three fics tonight. The first, by far, the graveliest. Was, was this a first? Was that a first for Sham Fiction? Three whole fics in one night? It was, uh, you know, it was. Wow. This is a, this is a landmark episode. Pat on the back for us. Our finale, we did the proto shams. There were three oh, of yeah. those. I guess that sort of counts. Season one that finale for you listeners at home. Those weren't full shams. Those were proto shams. It's true. So these were definitely three complete shams. <laughs> yep. Especially the shape of gravel. The shape of gravel was a whole story. He told a a, a complete story in those fifteen words. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> oh man, gentlemen, all three of you. Thank you. Thank you. If if you indeed call it gravelman, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you call it gravelman, gentlemen, but I will in this case. Thank you, gravelman. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Marcus, for sharing these stories. Um, I, that's a lot to process here. There is a, a very, there, there's some really powerful things in these stories, and I'm looking forward to discussing them in more detail here. But while I process and think about how best to score you or to 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 judge you uh to jumanji you <laughs> oh no i thought we were past that like at least four weeks past that i suppose i just like using jumanji as a verb Anyway, while I do all those things, <laughs> uh, I want to hear more about the process for the both of you. Uh, Marcus, let's start with you. Uh, how was writing Shape of Water? Oh, it was fun. Uh, I really, really took the fairy tale nature of it to heart. Mm-hmm. I was um, really trying to play with the language. That was my favorite part of this, was trying to write some prose that used more metaphor and uh, mm-hmm. sort of luxuriated a bit more than I typically do. So good. Yeah, that that was really clear. There was some really beautiful stuff in there. Thanks. So, I mean, that was a challenge as well, right? Because it's uh, spending a lot of consideration. And I knew that this wasn't going to have much, if any, dialogue in it um, mm-hmm. as I was going into it because I wanted to kind of get into her world. Um, and then I also 
I think one of the difficulties I had was trying to figure out what references I wanted to make. So we okay. knew that we had this movie theater and she went there and this was in the sixties and mm-hmm. trying to figure that out. So Lawrence of Arabia was a good fit cause it was an early sixties and yep. uh, I just recently seen it in the Cinerama in Seattle, which was great. The way uh, it was meant to be seen. Absolutely. And yeah. nerds. Yeah, so I, I had, uh, <laughs> <laughs> had had fun with this. It was it was a challenge. It was cool. Uh, one of the things that was also a challenge, and I wish I would have asked because I didn't know at the time, is that people who are mute, who are physically unable to speak, are very much apparently in the minority of people who do not speak. Uh, it's mostly a psychological impairment, mm. usually tied to trauma. And so I'm curious, we can talk about it afterwards, if much is given to that. Oh, no, we can talk about it quickly now. Uh, so, no, this is a physical impairment. And I don't think I mentioned it in the pitch, but she has these scars on her neck um, mm. where it's like that's referenced as why she can't speak. There's some sort of injury, childhood injury that caused it. Cool. Yeah, it's just she fell one time and then her larynx fell out. It was unfortunate. <laughs> yep, just plopped right out. Boop. Major bummer. Oh, there it goes. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for sharing those details. Um and I think you succeeded in many of the elements that you just laid out there. So we'll get to that in a moment. Um, Eric. Yeah. Please. How, how'd this go for yeah. you? Uh, I was torn. Um, so I knew going into this when I was brainstorming, which brainstorming was actually really smooth, but I knew that I really wanted to get that Strickland POV because you said something that was really interesting in the pitch in Andrew, in that you said if this were a film like actually made in the '60s, he would be the hero. You know, mm-hmm. he would be he'd be the upstanding American uh, citizen who is you know he's he's there to protect the world from this creature. And so I really wanted to explore that, and I also thought there was a good chance on this episode that Marcus wouldn't do that. It's so uh, funny. I, thought, uh, I, I, I definitely thought about it. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you ended up going there. Well, it's so like I said, I was torn. I'm like, man, that Strickland uh, perspective would be really good if Marcus writes Eliza's POV. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we both do Strickland POVs, it'd be it'd be really disappointing <laughs> because it's there true. is so, so much good in Eliza's POV. She's a beautiful character. And and she is the heart of the whole thing. So you can't have an episode where you don't have her POV. So I just uh, didn't make a decision, and I just wrote both. <laughs> and uh, and I went over. Uh, my word count was is about uh, almost eighteen hundred words. Oh wow, um, uh, which is a lot. Usually we aim for under fifteen hundred. Um, and it's actually this flowed out of me like water. This was uh, this was fun. This was a really good pitch, Andrew. It was a great writing prompt. Um, just great to explore these characters. This was a joy to write. I think I knocked this out in like two hours tops. Wow! Considering nice. that word comp, that's impressive. Did you? So you just free wrote it, Eric? Um, I I had a a plan, a light plan, in that I knew that I wanted Eliza to be sneaking into feeder eggs and I wanted to um, have that uh, I wanted to see the scene where Strickland lost his fingers um, okay. so that was all a basic plan um, 
Uh, so it wasn't like super strict, but it was the pieces were there. Gotcha. Yeah. And Marcus, did you was this um, something that was really planned out? I mean, yours, you know, went through the entire story pretty much from beginning to end. <laughs> so I would imagine that you planned it. Uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, there's not much action that actually happens here. So thinking of these fairy tale cadence, I was able to take a higher altitude view of this story for the most mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. And I did know I wanted to leave with them um, going into the water, out into the ocean. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. So, yeah. So two two stories that affected me a great deal. Um, I found myself very much in both of them, very much taken by both of them. And uh, both stories made me cringe at, at various points in, in how... Uh, graphic and violent they they got both in regards to fingers uh yep yep which is great because that happens in the movie when when finger some when some nasty finger stuff happens in the movie oh boy uh it's 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 graphic (laughs) it makes you cringe so that was great uh so i want to i really want to talk about these more so let's let's get some let's get some uh some some judging out of the way. Uh, first off, want to give a shout out uh, to the winners, of course, who are the makers of the film Shape of Water. Of course, the makers are always the winners here on Sham Fiction. In this case, The Shape of Water was written by Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor and directed by del Toro. So excellent film. Please just go watch it. Oh, like, finally. After, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have been holding off yeah. for so long. Thank you so much for waiting so that we could do this because this is one of my favorite films of, of 2017. Behind the behind the veil here, listeners, we had a conversation, a planning meeting, and we're like, can any of us wait to see Shape of Water so that we can do it on the show? And Andrew's like, nope, not waiting. Is <laughs> <laughs> true. I'm- so we all had to suffer. For him. Yep, he did. <laughs> but it's okay, because also at the time of this taping, uh, it's February, the Oscar nominations were announced, and it's nominated for, I think, 13? Yeah. Uh, hey, just just like we claimed in the first half of this show. Yeah, which was before said, the noms went Oscar, out. Oscar nominated, Oscar winning. Yeah, Shape it'll of definitely water. win something. Um, <laughs> we haven't found that out yet. But it's in theaters still, so these two guys can still go check it out, which is great. Yes. Um, I've seen it twice. Uh, so anyway, we've given the credits, Del Toro, brilliant artist, um, but which one of these brilliant sham writers is gonna, gonna lose a little less, uh, that's going to be Monsieur Carlson. Congratulations. Congratulations, sir. I am actually shocked. (laughs) Oh man, I think to explain my reasoning behind this these were both two beautiful stories um and marcus the prose that you created as part of this your goal to create something fairy tale like and focus on the writing the language itself you nailed it absolutely but what tipped well, this you. yeah but to, to what tipped this over the edge was i wasn't expecting a strickland point of view and i wasn't expecting to sympathize with that character because in the film that character is completely unsympathetic he is a monster in the film and you did something that the film does not which is give it that shade of gray to have to start with this moment of connection between eliza and 
the amphibian man and switch over to this t- just horribly misguided man who actually has like real fear, real, uh, uh, you know, um, what am I trying to say? Compassion. He, he's, what's that? Per- compassion like he, he wants to protect her yeah yeah like he's seen what the, that this creature has done harm to people in his mm-hmm. life so he is validated in 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 thinking that way you know he has this 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 um motivation for doing it other than just hating the creature he has a reason to and that added an interesting shade of gray to this that the we don't get in the film so it was very different from the film in that aspect, but still at the same time felt like it. And that surprise from that story is what tipped it over the edge. Well, well, I, uh, well, uh, thank you. I got, I'm all choked up. Oh, you forclipped. You. Oh, that was great. Um, Marcus, can we, can we talk about yours? Let's sure. do it. Because uh, what you wrote, it was so pretty. Thank so you. incredibly pretty and just like it, it had some of the strongest thematic uh, through line from anything that we've heard on the show because you just you latched on to this connection to water mm-hmm. in such a way that you never get lost. You never forget about it. It's always there. You feel wet when you're listening to this. And I mean, <laughs> and I mean wet. Hey. And it's it's just gorgeous it, it it kept me through it kept me with it the entire time i couldn't put it down it was a page turner <laughs> and well, that that's um that fairy tale tone really comes through did a great job thanks and it's very like i said very different from anything that i've heard on this show um i, I always like um these shams where we kind of do take this uh this 80,000 foot view of the story um, it's it's always nice to see, and this was done in a different way. Thank you. So congrats. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this one, uh, and this was the first one on season two where I've been over our word count. That was hey, uh, sixteen seventy. Ooh, sixteen seventy. I was at seventeen ninety six. We're yeah. just breaking all the rules this breaking week. All Everybody the rules. loses. The only person who was within the bounds was the gravel man. <laughs> He wins by default. He wins by default. I, I, that's true. I didn't. I didn't mention that. But yes, the cute. No, Gravel Man, you did a great job. But Thank uh, you. oh, you're welcome. Um, so yeah, Marcus. So with your story, um, Eric hit on that there. But I want to exp- talk about it a bit more. And that's yeah, the them- the thematic element is just so strong in in that story. So much so, and also just the emotional element. Um, the first section of that story is so of your story is is so much just rooted in her perspective and worldview. It doesn't mm-hmm. even it never doesn't really feel like even the story even kicks in for a while, um, which was interesting and I didn't expect that um, and I really appreciated that um, in this in this piece uh, that you just kind of established that perspective from her of of hers and the emotion of that. And it's, yeah, it, it was just a very unique choice and and and, and effective and an effective one. Um, and, and when you switched over into the Strickland bit where he spoke, I thought it really tied in stylistically with the rest of it because he was speaking in a story. Mm-hmm. He was like telling a story himself. So even though it was dialogue, it fit with the rest of the piece, which I thought was really clever. And was that your motivation for doing that yes 
Very good. Interesting. Wow, yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah I, I, I wanted that to not interrupt the flow of the story. And it couldn't be a back and forth, because something I immediately thought about Strickland from our pitch was that he's not going to care about anything she says. Uh, I liked, Eric, how you did that and said that she was deaf and dumb, which obviously we know she's not mm-hmm. um, when you're in Strickland's POV. And mm-hmm. so I thought that was uh, something I wanted to include there, just that he is completely not paying attention to the people around him the reality yeah and you're absolutely right and it's 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 true like again she speaks in sign and not everybody can speak in sign and and strickland most definitely cannot that's actually used to a really great effect in one scene in the film where eliza sends him a little message in sign and he doesn't understand what she's saying um it's very satisfying but we've learned it at that point no you see it spelled out on screen oh and it's 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 really great I mean, it's just kind of obvious because it's just she's just flipping the bird the entire time. <laughs> You'd think he would catch on. What does this mean? <laughs> Middle finger? <laughs> um, but I also really appreciated in the story, uh, Marcus, was um, that it was almost like her... It's, it was like almost her uh, evolving into like to meet him, to, to kind of become a creature like him. In that she, in the end, she becomes a little bit of an animal. You know, she she decides to 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 bite uh, Strickland in, in in a way that the the amphibian man would, um, which I thought was an interesting touch um, that I appreciated. Thanks. Oh, hey, I have a question. Uh, what did y'all think about my creature's magic ability? I loved it. I was oh. so the two things that I did not get to do in my story that I had been thinking of was a Strickland perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. But like you, I backed off, and I was like, "Well, you have this beautiful character. That's that would be a fun writing exercise." But I need to get some Eliza in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, "Oh, what special abilities could he have?" And I was trying to think of things, and that didn't even occur to me. The uh, the hip or the uh, camouflage. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, agreed. I thought it was um, a, a play on the theme and the title of the film. In that he was becoming the water, so he himself was like the shape of water by becoming invisible. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, Also, not that this played into the movie, I'm just like, okay, so he's got a magical power because Andrew teased us and said that the creature has some sort of ability beyond what he described. Um, But I thought, you know, what if like he had this camouflage that existed, but it only worked when he was like in the water. Like he could become invisible when he was wet. That sort of thing. Oh, interesting. So okay. I wanted to play with that and throw that in there. So I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, dug that. Yeah. Ooh, I will, can you tell I will us? say is that that is not the power he has in the film. Right. I will not reveal what that power is. Well, I guess I'm going to be motoring on over to my local Cineplex <laughs> and uh, checking that out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Any, any other comments about each other's stories? Marcus, uh, anything about Eric's that you'd like to hit on? Uh, this is fun. It was one where we both were very similar in terms of the action of our pieces. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and the setting is really this one setting that we got mm-hmm. into. True. Um, Eric, did you think much about going to any of the ancillary characters that were covered in the pitch? Uh, one of my early um, brainstorms involved going over to the neighbor's house, going over to Giles' house, mm-hmm. doing a a scene where um, you have Eliza in her apartment 
and she gets like a knock on the door and it's Strickland and you and you think that the jig is up because uh, because we also have a split POV where we see the creature in the bathtub and then we like pan out and it's uh, it's the creature in Giles's bathtub. Ooh. So I wanted to have a play oh. with that. But it, it, it seemed like too many moving parts to fit in the time. But yes, I thought about it a lot. How about you? Yeah, I was thinking about it a bit. Um, I, I wanted to do a scene where they had gone to a movie that had subtitles and show the different reactions. And she was going to really like it because it feels like you're more on the same footing, that you're you're Mm -hmm. getting this through interpretation, through uh, word, like the way she communicates. Mm -hmm. Uh, And her companion was going to not like it because it's interrupting the way that they speak. Would this be the amphibious man going to a movie with her? <laughs> in a trench coat. <laughs> yep. In the shades. <laughs> yep. I would enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I, You're absolutely right in that these stories kind of had a, while approached very differently, uh, had very similar scenes. And um, Giles, uh, which is an excellent character in the film, um it's also one of those elements where he, you know, because Eliza and her relationship to the amphibian man is just, you know, I mean, it's the film. It's what makes the film, even though he's a very unique character and his story really fits thematically with theirs. You know, it's like it's not it's the less appealing when you think about it from a writing uh, assignment level, because he's definitely he's dealing with being a gay man in the 60s. You know, that's kind of his perspective. Um so it's uh, I, I was well a little disappointed not to see him in either of your fic. Uh, it was still the they they were both brilliant in the with the characters and stories that they did cover. Um, yeah, I mean, l- let me just say about Marcus's that character of Eliza is just so uh, completely thought out. You, re- I can tell you really considered her. You considered her perspective. You considered her history. You considered where she had been and where she was going. You know, you 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 uh, you locked in on this moment of decision in her life, this momentous moment where she decided to throw everything away and embrace this creature, which feels so completely del Toro that uh, it, it's everything I could have wanted from a sham fiction of The Shape of Water. Well, thank you very much, sir. I really enjoyed your story as well. I thought you nailed the Strickland perspective. I liked that quite a bit. Thank you. All right, guys. I'm. I have so many emotions <laughs> flowing through me like water. Oh, lovely. That I think we 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 just we need to sign off before I become overwhelmed with these emotions. Uh, Again, y'all in the listening audience, and also you two here with me, go see this movie. Uh, At the time of this episode's release, I would be willing to bet that it's available on uh, for digital download or rental as well as Blu-ray. So it's coming out in March. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember when this episode comes out. So I suppose it's like it's it's like in the summer. I think (laughs) Uh, we're doing these really far in advance, you guys. Um, 
so yes, go see this film. One of my favorites of 2017. Beautiful, beautiful work. One of Del Toro's best in an already stacked uh, oeuvre. So uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> gentlemen, you y'all ready to go? Y'all ready, ready to, to go. sign off? All ready right. to go. I am moist with emotion. <laughs> oh boy, Gravel Man, are you ready to sign off? I'm dead. <laughs> oh no, he died. No, I guess dead. we'll never see Gravel Man again. <laughs> oh shucks. We'll see about that. Okay. You know, thanks everybody for listening for Sham Fiction. This has been Andrew Neal. Bye bye. My socks are wet. Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Original music by Reed Reimer. Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Congratulations, Sham listeners. You're dying. On our next episode, we'll be delving into the deprived world of fictional writer Jimmy Shive Overly and learning what goes on in his architecturally significant house in California. Will be a decidedly not safe for work episode as Andrew and Eric take on the FXX show. You're the worst by Stephen Falk. This has been a Two Jackets production.